to see you guys. Um, am I on? Okay, there we go. That sounds more like it. Man, I'm so excited for this morning. Uh, my name is Kamal. I uh, work at our Grace Snellville campus, and I this summer, I know this summer, our campus pastors are rotating from campus to campus, preaching on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And just a quick history about myself, I've been at Grace for the past six years. I graduated from Lee University, which is the Harvard, <laughs> one person, which is the Harvard of the South. Um, and uh, shortly after I graduated from Lee, I came on staff at Grace. And for the past six years, I've had the privilege of working for their global and local teams. And I want to actually tell the kids that you guys are welcome to go to kids ministry the back door on the left. Thanks for that reminder. Um, so. Great. Um, so this morning, I want to talk about a couple of things, but the, the topic of, uh, I think that's fitting for Pentecost Sunday and for the Compassion Experience is the topic of, of mission. And mission is significant for myself because uh, when I think about my personal story, my family, we're originally from India, and I was born in India, and we, I lived there for five years. But previous to my birth, my family uh, generationally was Hindu. And for many years, they were high caste Hindus. And India is, is uh, segmented across social lines. So you have people who are very high on the social pole and very low on the social pole. Our family was higher on the social pole, and they were devout Hindus. And my grandfather uh, was known in the community. He was a respected Hindu believer. Um, but he had something tragic happen. He had a son who, after he was born, he contracted polio. And uh, in Hinduism, there are certain things that you can do. You can go to different temples. There are uh, rituals that they'll do. They'll burn hair, and they'll do all that to appease God. And so he was doing those things, and nothing happened. Um, and he became desperate. And in India, uh, for you to have a son and for him to not have a significant role in society or in your family, it's very shameful. And so he wanted to restore his son's honor. He wanted to see his son have a flourishing life. Um, but he recognized that at some level, there was some disconnect between what he believed God could do for his son and what was happening. And to make a long story very short, uh, and before I pray, he eventually got connected to a local believer. And they said, there's a guy in town, and he says he has this gift of healing, which is given by Jesus. And he believes that if we pray, if he, we believe that if, if you let him pray for your son, God will, God will heal your son. And so my grandfather, he um, unwillingly went because of his desperation. Uh, and the guy, he met with my grandfather and my grandmother and my uncle, uh, who had contracted polio, and he gave him a, a vial of oil, and he said, if you anoint your son with this oil, and if you pray in the name of Jesus, God will heal your son. And so he did that. He took the oil, and he went home, and he began praying every day for his son who had polio. And over the span of a month, his leg was completely healed, right? It was a miracle. And uh, what happened after that was even more significant. After my uncle was healed of polio, my grandfather, my grandmother, and eventually our whole family, like Jesus talks about, like leaven is in dough, and it, it, like yeast is in dough, and it takes over the whole dough. The gospel did that to our whole family, and every single person was impacted by the narrative of who Jesus was, and they began to follow Jesus. So that's how I get to stand before you today, and that's, yeah, 
Isn't that, it's amazing. And we see God doing things like that all across the world, and we'll talk about some of the statistics um, behind that too, but let's pray this morning before we dig into all that. Will you join me? So God, we just thank you this morning that you're present, you're active, and we just uh, acknowledge your goodness and your faithfulness this morning, and we just ask that you just continue to open our eyes to the reality of the work that you're doing overseas. Um, and even locally, God, just bless this Sunday. God, bless this Pentecost Sunday that we would recognize the power of your spirit and that this gospel that we have, God, isn't just confined to us, but it's meant for the entire world. In your name I pray, amen. Um, so when I go to India, I'm always gripped by the scenes of poverty. My family is all still there. And so my wife and I, we get to travel frequently to visit them. And one of the things uh, that we are, are most impacted by or jarred by when we go is, is the level and the significance of poverty and how it, how it impacts families in India. And so I first went out when I was 15, and I remember looking over my grandfather's roof, and on the back there, there's a lady who had a tent, and uh, every time it would rain, the tent, all of the ground would just get flooded. And she had her tent, it was just in this little plot of land behind my grandfather's house, it was a blue tent. And every time it would rain, I would just see the water begin to slowly rise in her tent, I would see her walk out, and she had a little son with her. And I didn't know what to do with that, but I just took a, you know, captured it in my mind and thought, man, that, is, that has to be hard to constantly deal with that. And then later on, the same trip, I was walking in, the, uh, in one of the streets and I stumbled across a family of uh, a couple of kids and they were showering in public and they were naked and I just looked and I had never seen anything like that before. And uh, once again, I just took a mental picture. I said, wow, it must be difficult to have this be the norm. Uh, for yourself, especially as a kid. And recently, in, in uh, 2018, my wife and I went in December, and we were driving through New Delhi, which is one of the major cities in India, the capital of India, and at specific intersections, um, you'll find children there. Very common in India. And so we stopped at an intersection, the, the red light came, and uh, there's many cars next to us, and there's kids strategically positioned at every intersection. And they'll come and approach your car, and they'll do little gymnastics, little... little uh, exercises in front of your car, they'll knock on your window, um, asking for money, and they're typically placed there by, you know, some corrupt older person. Um, but it is uh, one, of the, one of the most jarring things is looking in the eyes of those kids, glassy, glossed over, blank eyes, and thinking, you know, in, in those moments you begin to think about, God, at some sense, everything you've given me is a blessing in my life. And when you run into scenes like poverty, when you run into in situations where poverty is that prevalent, where society seems so depraved, I begin to ask myself the question, how does what God has given me translate to the rest of the world? How does the blessings that I've received in my personal life, how does it translate into the rest of the world? And this morning, if you think that your faith is specifically just for you, that God hasn't intended for your faith to have a con just an application and a context outside of your own, You'd be reading the Bible incorrectly. And I quickly began to realize that the blessing that God has given me of my faith in Jesus wasn't specifically supposed to be captivated, just captured in my, in my own family. But God had intended for our faith to be, able to be able to be translated into many contexts, into many environments, into many countries. And this is really, the, the, the theme of this is, is blessing, that God wants to bless the entire earth and this is the theme that if you read the Bible, it confronts you. That God tells his people, I've blessed you, and I've expressed this blessing, I expect 
that this blessing that I've given you, it would translate to the entire earth. So if you have your Bible, let's turn to Genesis 12. And we have the opportunity this morning when we run into scenes like that, as you go through the compassion experience, to either engage or disengage with the opportunities that God puts before you. Just like I did in the car there, as I had those children knock on my window. And as you read Genesis, it is littered with the imagery of blessing, right? It confronts you, and it starts with the story of Abraham. And Abraham is significant in the Bible, not just because he's the, you know, the major patriarch of the Old Testament, but all of the major world religions, they look to Abraham as the forefather of their faith. So you have Muslims, they look to Abraham as the forefather of their faith. They look, you look at um, uh, Jews, look at Abraham as the forefather of their faith. Christians, the forefather of their faith is also Abraham, and it all begins with this blessing that God gives Abraham, or this promise, you could say. So Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Actually, let's start from, from verse 1. And it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your father and your kindred, from your country and your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I'll show you. And I'll make of you a great nation, and I'll bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you, all the families of the earth shall be, be blessed. So God gives Abraham this three-part promise. He says, I'm going to give you land, right? I'm going to give you a territory for your people forever. I'm going to give you a family. You'll have descendants that last forever too. They'll multiply. But then God puts this peculiar section at the end. He says, I'm going to bless you, and this blessing isn't specifically limited to you, but somehow it's going to translate to all of the families of the earth. And that's the, that's the responsibility that God has given us as believers. That God says, I've blessed you so that this blessing that you have would translate to everywhere, to all families across the earth. So what does that mean? What is that blessing that God has bestowed upon us? Have we thought about our faith in a way like God speaks to Abraham that is reserved not just for ourselves? but for all of the families of the earth. And actually, you don't have to try to discern the, uh, the, uh, the main idea there of what blessing is, because in Galatians chapter 3, Paul actually tells us exactly what the blessing is. So if you could go to Galatians chapter 3 with me, let's figure out what this blessing is. Galatians 3, verses 7 through, through 9. And it says, Now then, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. I'll read verse 8 again. It says, And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. And so God says in Genesis 12, or you could, you could even think about this, in, in the New Testament, we don't see the first proclamation of the gospel. Paul says in Genesis 12, God tells Abraham the, the original gospel. He says it's this idea that our faith in Jesus was proclaimed to Abraham and because Abraham believed the promises of God by faith, he actually was one of the original men who believed in the gospel. 
So this gospel in the Old Testament, this blessing that Jesus says is going to extend to the whole earth, Paul makes it clear, it's the gospel. And its intention is that it would extend to all of the families of the earth, all the nations of the earth. God never meant for our faith to be confined to one city, one place, one location, one family. His original purpose from the beginning was that it would be global. And you think about this idea of blessing. Have you thought about your faith? Have you ever thought about your faith as a blessing? That possibly God would want what you have, your faith in him, to also be communicated to others and for you to see it as a blessing. But the gospel writers take it even further. So if you go to Matthew chapter 1, this is the last place we'll look before we jump into the next thing. We see the genealogy of Jesus, right? We've been discussing Abraham. Paul comments on Abraham. And when you have a Jewish genealogy, typically what would happen is um, the Jews, they would keep a strict record of who was in their family. Um, And they would do it because they wanted to illustrate the purity of their Jewish line. But when you get to the New Testament, when you think about the promise that God gave Abraham, that every family would be impacted by the gospel, we see not only Paul expound that on the idea, but also in the book of Matthew. So Jesus has his lineage here. And the significant thing about the, the genealogy of Jesus is that if Matthew were trying to illustrate the purity of the line of Jesus, he totally failed because he illustrates the genealogy of Jesus through four women who are not Jewish. That's Tamar in verse three. That's Rahab in verse five. That's Ruth in verse five. And then it says at the end, Uriah, the wife of Uriah. And she was also, he was a, Uriah was a Hittite. He was also not a Jew. And so Matthew says that for us to really understand who Jesus was and what the gospel message is, it was never all about one people, one place. It was that it would extend to peoples and places that were not Jewish, the Gentiles, the rest of the world. And that's the significance of the scripture this morning, that our gospel, what we've received from Genesis to Revelation to Paul, to to Matthew, it shows us that God intends for it to be communicated to the ends of the earth, to every family of the earth, to every people unlike you. So if God made the promise, what's God doing about it? Can we pull up our first first slide? This is uh, where Christians lived in the 1800s. You see 85% of Christians existed uh, primarily in, in, uh, in Europe. 3% 3% in Asia, 1% in Africa, 8% in South America, and 3% in the USA, right? Well, you think about this promise. God says the gospel is a blessing. It's going to extend to every family of the earth. Let's go to the next slide. This is the 1900s. We see the picture begin to shift where faith is taking root in North America, in South America. It grows 1% in Africa and a little bit more in, in Asia. But what's staggering is, if you remember the promise, and we think about what God is doing today, see how that changes the picture of faith. Can we go to today? This is today. 25% of all believers across the world are in Africa. 25% of believers are in South America. 25% in Europe. So we see a decline in Europe and in North America, 
But faith is growing in places across the world where it's three things. It's a minority. It's not the majority religion. Secondly, faith is growing in places across the world where it lacks resources. Faith is growing in places across the world that are marked by persecution, marked by incredible political violence, but somehow it's growing. And the reason it's growing is because God promised in Genesis 12, this faith, this blessing that I've given Abraham, it has to go to every family on the earth. That's the invitation that God gives us, gives us this morning. Um, can we go to the next slide? Um, and what, for grace, this journey really began at 9-11. God grabbed our church and he shook us and he said, I want this faith not just to be reserved for Snellville, Georgia. I think that's one reason why Grace Marriott exists. I don't want it just to be in Snellville. I want it to be locally, to locally grow and to multiply, but also globally. And, and we responded and God began to show us how to work with Muslim peoples and in Muslim places. And the reason this is significant, if you go to the next slide, we started working um, with Muslims in uh, 2001, almost directly after 9-11 happened. And this is the history of Muslim movements to Christ. And when we talk about a movement, this is 2,000, a move, one movement is 2,000 believers baptized, and I think 20 churches planted, 20 or more. That's what they count as one movement. And you see from the 7th century the 19th century, you have approximately zero movements. Actually, you have th three movements. Um, you have two in the 14th century and, and one in the 11th century. And at the same time, many Christians are actually becoming Muslim during this, during this time period. But in the 20th century, something new happens. We have 11 movements, almost a 600% increase. And then in the 21st century, God's spirit begins to totally flip the script. I mean, you see 69 movements Millions of Muslims across the world are discovering who Jesus is. They're meeting him in dreams, in visions, in healings, through the work of, of churches across the world, and they're responding. God has uniquely positioned grace at a timetable in history where he's working in peoples and in places where you'd least expect. Go to the next slide. I just did a, I know I'm over time here, but I want to talk to you one last thing. I did a Google search this morning, and I typed in, um, I just typed in, who does the future belong to? And if you're on Google now, you know that it begins to automatically predict what um, the rest of your search is based upon, what people are searching. And I just was struck by some of the answers. And it says, based on what people are searching, and when we think about the future of our faith, and the future of, of, of what God is doing, it says, the future belongs to, this is what people are, people are searching. It says, the future belongs to those who show up. The future belongs to those who are brave, to the bold, to you, to the curious. I thought, how fitting that people, what people are searching for actually fits the biblical paradigm, right? That for our faith to exist in places that are hard or are far away, we have to be a lot of these things. The world is searching for answers in a lot of these places. And when we think about our family of churches, I think we've identified well with these. So then who, who gets to write the past?
Can we go to the next slide? I said, who does history belong to? I think one of the key things to remember for our church this morning is, um, these are, and this is, this is anyone in the world is searching, and Google is predicting the search, right? And I was struck by it. It says, history belongs to the intercessors. <laughs> I thought, we've been praying at grace that God would continue to show us how our faith moves just beyond the borders of this church and beyond the borders of, of Georgia, of the USA, but it moves to the ends of the earth. And one of the markers of, of the future, of those who survive in the future, are, is the indication that they are intercessors. And just to end on this idea of, of uh, as we talk about disciples this summer, um, I was looking at one last thing. Because for our faith to translate across the world, right? God's already moving. He's stirring up people across the world. We have to have personal transformation in our own life. And the, uh, a research institute did a study, and they evaluated why were people, if faith is growing across the world, why are Americans leaving faith? And one of the things that they found was, people were saying that they, they said, um, even though their family professed a faith, their family was never that religious when they were growing up. And the invitation this morning is for us to experience personal transformation in our life so that we would truly understand what the blessing of the gospel is so that it would extend to the end of the earth. Thanks, guys.